We're back. It's living with Will. The sun's out. The sun never went away. And we're trying to get it going. We're trying to keep it moving. And we're trying to keep pushing things forward. Mainly, we're in the crypto space. We're in the Web3 space. We're in the blockchain space, depending on when you got in, how you call it. And we're here to talk about some of the builders. We're here to talk about some of the movers, some of the shakers, some of the pioneers, some of the forward thinkers. I'm here with one of those today. He's an incredible man. He's built some incredible things, one of which is this, a decentralized developer forward, layer one, by the name of Monad. We're going to talk about parallel processing. We're going to talk about some of the intricacies of the development side of the industry that we love. And we're just going to have a good time. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Show some love to Keon. Go check out Monad because what they're working on is really exciting. We're excited to do more with them over at the Movement Labs team. And I encourage you to go out and check out the movement. And have a great rest of your day, everybody. Have a great weekend. Have a great week. And stay safe out there, y'all. It's a crazy world right now. Let's get back into it. Thank you so much for being here. And welcome back to another week of Living Will. For sure. Alright y'all, we are back. Thank you all so much for tuning in. And I'm here with the founder, the CEO, and the man, the myth, the legend behind Monad. It's so great to be here with you, Keon. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me, Well, It's a real pleasure. So I would love to take it back to the beginning. Just, you know, give people a nice little frame of reference. When did you come up with this idea? When did Monad really begin? Yeah, um, prior to Monad, I was working at a company called Jump Trading for eight years. Um, I think a lot of people or everyone in the crypto space knows Jump from their their crypto activities, but they're really involved in the traditional finance space as a you know a significant volume uh, participant in, in a number of different traditional finance markets. And spent about eight years there, and then about six months in the crypto division of Jump Trading, um, along with my co-founder James, um, mostly working on Solana DeFi and. Um, just getting really excited about the potential for high-performance blockchains and the kinds of apps that could get built on them. And we realized that there was really a strong need for high-performance EVM, um, a lot of problems that had not been solved. So um, in January 22, we we left Jump and started Monad along with the third co-founder and have just been growing the team and, and growing the effort ever since then. That's amazing, man. And you know, from a branding perspective, I've been so curious. What is a Monad for people who are curious to learn more about the name? Uh, a Monad is a component in functional programming that um, just allows you to take a function and build another function that um, is is easier to use in more general composing of functions together. That's amazing. So we we exist in a very you know technical um, you know technology driven industry, when mm. you're communicating some of these concepts that can be quite difficult, where do you find the common ground between non crypto native and crypto native folks? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Because as the industry has progressed, it does feel like there's more and more complexity. Um, and I remember when, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's like, it's, it's hard, because over the years, we just accumulate knowledge, but it does, it's it's acquired gradually. And then 
someone new to the space now just gets bombarded with um you know roll up some liquid staking tokens and enshrined pbs and um escape hatches and virtual machines and and then all of the token names are like these crazy i know people um kind of joke about like the i don't know whatever the names of lp tokens or like the names of some of these like derivative tokens that get generated by um by protocols but it's very very complex i think that there needs to be a return to simplicity at least in terms of how we explain what a blockchain is and what its core value prop is and how we explain how decentralized apps work and why they're useful and why composability is really valuable why open api is really valuable and then explain a lot of these you know really fundamental defi primitives um like things like lending protocols or exchanges or oracles or things like that in very simple terms and then and then sort of like have a very curated set of explanations and and encourage people to look into some of the more complex things after more time has gone on but just have a good understanding of the basics first um, i do feel that you kind of need a guide um, like almost like a sherpa or something to guide your initial crypto journey and there is a shortage of that and there's a lot of content but the content is not curated so i definitely think that it's a significant problem for a new person learning about crypto right now so true when you so when you were getting your feet under you and you were a crypto novice the, the days before jump who is your who is your guide i think it's uh i maybe followed a path that a lot of people did which is like you know learning about bitcoin and being like oh this is you know really powerful that there's a currency that is not just controlled by government that can print arbitrary amounts of that currency um it was also during a time when um you know, uh, the pandemic had just happened and there was a lot of new um, fiat being being printed to, um, you know, to keep the economy going. So I think there was a narrative like that kind of was a good motivator. But then over time, I, rem I remember just Googling, like, who are the best people to follow on crypto Twitter? And, and all of the results came back and they're all terrible recommendations, like, you know, BitBoy um, and... I don't know, the moon Carl and uh, ran newer and just whatever, like all these people who are obvious, there's a lot of average selection basically. Um, but I kind of, I mean, as a trader, like you also understand that there's adverse selection and that the people that, you know, have the YouTube videos that have like the screenshots where every video is like them making a face, like totally shocked by whatever thing, like that that's probably not going to be a great source of information. So um, then over time, just started to get more involved in crypto Twitter and fortunately found people like DGen Spartan or Kobe or other big accounts that were much more informative and much more um, honest about like how they saw things. And then and then over time, just like through crypto Twitter and, and a lot of scrolling, a lot of hours um, sort of got up to speed. That's amazing, man. And I know you all just released the docs that are kind of explaining some of the more complexities of what you were trying to get into. One of the concepts that I was really excited about speaking about today is this idea of parallelization. Is Can you kind of break that down for people and talk about like the use cases, what that enables in the industry? Right. I think that people get um, 
a little bit intimidated because some of the the terminology is it's it's like you know uh, STM is software transactional memory like it sounds like a complicated thing it's really actually just a logical idea which is that you have a bunch of work that needs to get done and the work is does have an official order in which it's supposed to be done you know transactions are ordered from 1 to 10,000 or something and you need to get to the end result as if you just had run those transactions one after another. Um, and the very obvious and naive, but also correct thing to do is just to start uh, doing like multiple transactions in parallel as if um, they were not dependent on each other at all. Like starting from whatever the current state of the world is. Um, and then, for example, you do 10 transactions all in parallel to each other. And then just make note of what inputs you read to do that transaction, like which in, in the context of EVM, this means the um, accounts and storage slots and uh, the values that were at that storage slot that were read in. And then also the values that you ended up writing in the course of that transaction. So again, account storage slot and value that you wrote out, just keep track of that for every transaction that you ran. And then just go and try to commit those results and keep, you know, make note of if there's a result um, when you try to commit it, like see if the inputs to that transaction, to creating that result, end up getting modified by any transaction that you recently committed. And if so, then go and reschedule that work. So, I mean, it's just a kind of, you know, it, it's it's just doing transactions, but taking notes on what the inputs and outputs were so that, um, you can be safe and be sure that all the results you're committing are the correct results. So maybe just, you know, one more thing and then I'll stop is to say, um, like, if you imagine that there's, um, you know, transaction one is swapping on Uniswap, um, like, you know, ETH USDC pool, and the transaction two is minting some NFT, and then transaction three is also, mint, uh, sorry, making another swap on that same ETH USDC pool, then... When we run those three transactions in parallel, transaction one and transaction three initially are run with um, the same starting point, which is the starting point being like the balance of ETH and the balance of USDC in that pool. So transaction one, you produce a sort of temporary result for that. Transaction two, you produce a temporary result, which is just minting the NFT. Then transaction three, you produce a temporary result. Um, and then you just try to commit those. Transaction one gets committed, fine. Transaction two gets committed, fine. But then when we try to commit transaction three, we realize, oh, we did this with the wrong assumptions because transaction one actually changed the balances of that pool. So now we just need to go back and reschedule the work and re-execute. Wild. How, so uh, part of my ignorance, if this is a dumb question, but how do layer ones differ from parallels layer twos? It, like, are there drawbacks and benefits? Are there differences? Um, so yeah, so I think that right now, no layer twos are parallel. Uh, sorry, no EVM layer twos um, have parallelization internal to their node operations either. Um, so the only notion of parallelism within layer twos right now is that there could be a bunch of different layer twos that are all happening in parallel, like Optimism, Arbitrum, base, et cetera. Those are all like separate environments that are going on in parallel and they're just committing, uh, you know, like you could do stuff on one while someone else is doing another transaction on another one. And then they're just committing back to Ethereum in parallel. 
Um, so it's not the same notion of parallelism as the notion of an L1 that supports parallelism because there that would be like many transactions that are all happening on the same L1 that are all sequenced together being um, executed in parallel. That's amazing. And I, and I highly recommend anyone listening right now, if this is going a little over your head, that's okay. Um, you know, go and check out the docs and read up on this stuff and, and, you know, just begin your journey. It always starts with, you know, not understanding for you, you know, being so intimately involved with this process, what's most exciting for you about the docs release and, you know, the novelty of which you are working on. I think that the docs are important because it's just giving the community more transparency into the overall design architecture and properties of uh, the new Monad blockchain, which is then helpful because it informs like decision-making about the kinds of things that could be built. Um, Monad is fully EVM compatible. Um, maybe I should have started with that. So Monad is fully EVM compatible, really high performance, 10,000 transactions per second, one second block times and single slot finality. So that, that spec really allows people to builders who are building ambitious applications to design, you know, with the expectations and with the understanding of what typical transaction fees are and w with knowledge of how plentiful transactions can be so that they can actually, cause that actually affects a lot of things. Like right now, when you're building a DeFi app, you're, you know, uh, making design decisions about how expensive, you know, with an assumption of how expensive each quality or smart contract is going to be. And you're fretting over the fact that, you know, if the, uh, if the call is like 200,000 gas instead of a hundred thousand gas, then it'll cost $10 instead of $5. And then, you know, like $10 too much, $5 would be okay. So we need to like really get down to hundred K gas. And those optimizations just fundamentally really drive the kinds of things can be built. That's amazing, man. So achieving something like 10,000 TPS in production is wild. Um, what are the main hurdles to achieving something like that? I think the single biggest hurdle actually is state access because um, the transactions, like the typical transactions that you see on Ethereum mainnet, when you look at what the work that's being done, the work is actually pretty simple. Like the amount of computation, like the amount of work CPU is doing is actually not that much. But the thing that's costly is reading the persistent state from disk, like reading those account and slot values. And then, you know, after the transaction completes and committing the change back. And I guess just for some context, and this is definitely a little bit in the weeds, but I'll mention it anyway, um, existing blockchain clients generally tend to use um, a high level key value store like level DB or rocks DB, which is a fork of level DB or MBX, MDBX which is a fork of level DB. They use this thing, this like standard database to store all of the values that actually go um, into storage. And also in Ethereum, everything's stored in a Merkle tree, um, which is a really cool data structure where um, anytime anyone changes any value anywhere, then that change ultimately rolls up to the root of the tree, AKA the Merkle root. And that Merkle root kind of serves as a checksum for all of the state in the world. And that's good because it means that now there's a commitment to all that state 
Um, it's easy to produce Merkle proofs. So if you're um, a user who's running a light client, then you can, even though you're not uh, executing all the transactions, you could still um, securely query a full node to get the value of any node in that giant tree. Um, it's really powerful, but it's also creates a lot of overhead because anytime anyone changes anything in the tree, there's this whole anything that's on the path from that node in the tree, that leaf all the way up to the root has to get updated. So there's like a whole bunch of different DB calls that are being made to update all those values. Anyway, long story short, it's just, um, it's really inefficient, the state storage right now. And so I think the single biggest hurdle to making smart contracts a lot more performant is actually built, you know, built offering a much better um, data store for this Merkle tree data. That's incredible. When you were like coming up with this concept and, and rolling this out, um, I'm sure you're more familiar than this with most people, but there's been a lot of EVM compatible ones that have tried um, and have been, have had better performance than ETH, for example, but haven't found that, you know, market fit or like that, like maintain that, that use. Um, what are some of the ways that you guys have seen, you know, rallying community around Monad and, and maintaining that community, despite this kind of history that the EVM compatible chains have seen? Right. I think the, there's sort of two comments that I have. One is that most EVM compatible uh, layer ones or, or layer twos, they're still relatively expensive. So although they're cheaper than Ethereum, they're still quite expensive in the broader context of being a normal person that's just walking around that doesn't know anything about crypto. Like people hate paying $3 ATM fees. So, you know, it's not going to be good when they go to Arbitrum and they try to make a swap and it still costs a dollar. Um, still has to be orders of magnitude cheaper. So that's the first thing. And then I guess the second thing is that it is really about the apps. Like users shouldn't really care about the blockchain that the app is built on. They should just care about the app and what value it brings to them. Um, like the fact that it you know provides them useful services or makes them happy or entertains them or lets them stay in touch with their friends or whatever it is. That's what's important. But then like for one of those apps to actually scale to many, many people and go viral and, you know, forget the blockchain for a second. Like just imagine that you were an app developer who was building an iPhone app and you wanted to get it to be number one on the app store. Like, how do you do that? You're going to be scheming up, you know, ways to make your app extremely viral, whatever your, you know, very localized launch strategy is, um, incentivizing users to like tell their friends and you need everything to be really smooth in terms of onboarding and um, acquiring users. And yeah, I think that right now the blockchain experience and the, any apps that are built on the blockchain, they're actually really hard to onboard and they're expensive. And the costs are basically like an antiviral effect rather than a viral effect. So as a result, there's not really apps that spread to the point where they have a million daily active users or even 100k daily active users would be like a massive massive achievement um so i think that that's the reason why you know you don't right now we don't see that many blockchains that have that much um evm compatible blockchains that have that much adoption it's really about the apps on top of them but some of it is a consequence of the limitations that have been imposed mm. 
that's really smart, man. I'm I'm so grateful for this conversation because I know a lot of people listening are gonna get a ton of value out of it. Um, you know, next steps. I know you you know you guys just had a big uh you know roadmap event happen with the release of the docs, but uh, what's what's next in store? What's some things that we can talk about uh, that can get people excited about the future of Monad? Yeah, the next thing is the release of our first public testnet, um, which we expect. Um, so, a private testnet we expect at the end of this year, public testnet um, very early next year. And um, yeah, I think people can just be excited about trying out the public testnet and also excited about building things that take advantage of the open design space from raising the throughput substantially and lowering costs substantially. That's awesome, man. And I got to say, you know, from a creative standpoint, I think the way you all have been presenting yourselves online has been refreshing and uh, fun in a way that I think a lot of chains can learn a lot from. Uh, when did you guys settle on this, like, branded Monad Pepe as your, like, you know, uh, mascot? I, I, it's amazing. Yeah, I, it's it just kind of happened, honestly. Um, the community was has just, over time, gravitated toward... Um, that particular mascot. Um, I actually call him a prune because uh, you know one of uh, one of our team members initially thought that he was a prune because he's purple and it's kind of wrinkly. And um, I think it's it's actually good to get away from Pepe himself just because he's so common and so so over uh, so commonly used. So I think over time we're hoping that the community will continue to evolve him and we'll just see where he goes but it's really just community driven that's amazing man are we gonna see you get a, a prune monad tattoo by the time mainnet happens mm -hmm. yeah i think that would be a good one um <laughs> yeah i mean i it's it's kind of funny i don't know the everything has just uh fallen into place in terms of the branding i don't think we really planned the the mascot or the with the colors like stuff like that but it's been been fun purple is a, a strong color good color it is man it's really fun it's it's really great and you know the next kind of direction i wanted to take this is for people that are building it could be in the crypto space it can be in any industry you know obviously there's a lot of peaks and valleys that come with you yes. know like taking on your own dreams in your own hands are there any words of inspiration or, or lessons that you've learned along the way that you would share with other people trying to kind of bring their vision to life just keep going, honestly. I think it's there's a you know there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of noise and distractions and new narratives all the time, and um, it's very easy to just like spend all day on Twitter and like not not make productive progress. So just keep going, honestly. I, I mean, it's still quite early days for Monad as well. Like I don't. I don't think we can really claim to be the experts in, um, you know, living through a long bear market. And um, yeah, we're still, there's still a lot to be done on our side. We're very aware of that, but yeah, just, just say, just keep going. That's awesome, man. And is there anything that you wanted to be sure that you said to the audience, you know, while we had the time? I, I just, I love the the crypto community. I think it's, really incredible that we 
I mean, like, you know, there's so many in, in other industries, like in, in tech startups or in, in trading or in other, there's just like not that level of community support and interest and excitement. And that's such a blessing to have that. Um, so I think that it's, yeah, it's, it was a one it's, you know, for anyone who's working on a project, it is on, on us to deliver and to help, you know, the community's so excited, the community's put their trust in us. Like it's, it's on us to deliver the things that we set out to, but also like, you know, just, I think we should consider ourselves to be blessed to, by the fact that there is such a strong community that is passionate about honestly, pretty complex, pretty arcane technology. Like when, what other industry do you see that? So I think that that's why crypto will succeed ultimately is because there are people who care a lot and in any situation when there's a bunch of people that are all really passionate, um, they don't always agree. Like, you know, there's fighting and there's, um, you know, a lot constant entertainment and constant ridiculous things happening. But the fact that people care really does mean that there's something special here and um, community is a superpower. So I, that's just, you know, something that's become more and more obvious to me that it's a really unique situation and environment that they were all in being being part of this and um it means that there's also it it can it can mean that you know things almost get memed into existence and like there is um it just means that there's the possibility to go and try to build something and then with community support and the whatever the wind at your back um something amazing gets built so i just feel really lucky to be part of the crypto industry Awesome, man. I, that is such a beautiful answer. And I agree full heartedly. Um, I'm so grateful for your time, man. For people that are listening, you can find out all the information below and, uh, keep on, keep on doing your thing, man. We're going to be paying attention and we're here to support in any way we can. This is amazing. And thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been great speaking with you. Yeah. Same here. Will. thanks so much for having me. You're the man, dude. I regret that I carried the supply like a kid pack And you ain't have to talk You just stare back You already know where my head at I'm trying to get this bread, Jack And really, I ain't trying to hear that It's clear that Shit a nigga talk about Really done did that I really done lived that Well, you wouldn't want your kids at You wouldn't want your crib back Nigga, I can't even sit back without the strap Nigga, I can't even relax without the pack It's all on the line, nigga I can't even fall back Fell down, but I crawled back. Looking for the money, power, respect, all that. A true hustler, what you call that? Got me feeling like MF Doom on all caps. Look, told y'all, man. Y'all done fucked up. You put your money on the laws, man, they told y'all wrong. The one already sold y'all songs. Records from the heart that was hot like the stove still on The herd dripping while it closed along The frozen arm, compliment the golden charms I make chest moves on for some, I'm so nonchalant All with the flick of the wrist, average triple-double steals and assists It's like I'm running the point, Oscar Robinson puffing his joint With 40s and 4.5s, that's a lot of points 
I write crime like Donald Goins Hustle for the coins, breaking down chicken tenderloins Money make a lot of shit, null and void Life you can't avoid, keep it with me cause I'm paranoid Big Glock shots make a scary noise Keep it very poised, turn your group of men into scary boys